It is so great to have you with us here today. Thank you for being here. And uh, it's great that we can begin to feel like we've got a few more people in this, this 11 o'clock service. And so if your spot was not available this week, um, don't worry. It won't be available next week either. So find a new spot and it's all good. We're all, this, just the fact that this isn't going out on the internet right now, I feel like I could just be, um, really be a little bit uh, loosey-goosey, and uh, Pastor Ben will chew me out in. See? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Okay, let's get back on our notes, shall we? Last week, I, I shared a message about the unknown future and how... Um, it's, it, it can really cause anxiety when we feel like we don't know the future. And I want you to rest assured that God knows your future. If you weren't here last week and you didn't hear that message, I just want to encourage you to go onto uh, our website there and, and you can see the spot where you click on messages. It'll take you to that message. Listen to that message. It's a great encouragement. Whatever you're going through, God knows your future. And I had this thought as I was preparing my message for today that um, if, if we serve, if we have a God, if God knows our future, but yet we don't feel like we know him, what good is that to us? So there's got to be a connection between us and God. We need to know him. And, and I was thinking about this, uh, and I shared this in the first service, that... that um, Scripture says that he knows us, that literally he knit us together in our mother's womb. That's knowledge, okay? That's knowing some. You, you know somebody pretty well. Um, that, that the hairs on our head are numbered, that he knows, he knows everything about us. And so that's not the issue. The issue is not God knowing us. He knows us intimately. The issue is us knowing him. Because that's what's going to make the ultimate difference. And so today I want to share this message called Unknown God, which, which I, we need to answer that question, you know, because otherwise the, the, the fact that God knows the future means nothing to us because we, we don't know him. And so to do that, I want to take you to the book of Acts, and I want to take you to a situation uh, in Paul's life that, that we, can, we can see what happened there. And Paul had been in Berea, but he had gone through some persecution in the city of Berea. And his, um, his, his posse, they decided he really needed to get out of that area and that he should go to Athens. And so they basically took him to the city of Athens. And Athens is a, a, a city that uh, was full of... Um, idols and idol worship, um, they were living in the glory of the past. Athens had been a very important city previously, but they were really on the downhill slide now. They were not uh, nearly as relevant as they had once been. Uh, they, they taught a philosophy, a type of philosophy, that, that believed that the ultimate in life was the pursuit of pleasure, that that was, 
that was the best that, that one could ever hope for <clears throat> in life. And, and that pursuit of pleasure was very specific for them. It, it had to do with a, a very quiet and serene and pleasurable life. It, it, was, it was not necessarily um, um, just, just going out and do anything. They, they really they, they had a certain bent to it. Um, it, was, it was, I think it was, it was very decadent, but yet it was, a very, it was a quiet and serene thing that they were really shooting for. And so Paul gets this invitation to speak because when Paul gets to Athens, he starts to preach. He starts in the synagogue and, and then from there he's, he's preaching and teaching. And, and the people in Athens loved to hear and they loved to talk about the latest ideas. And, and religious ideas were very important to them, and they loved talking about those. So they had heard that this guy came to town and that he was uh, teaching these new ideas because he was talking about Jesus, and they had not heard of Jesus. And so they invited him to come to their special kind of club, and it was called the Areopagus. And this was a location, but it was also um, a group of people and this group of people, they were sort of the supreme court of Athens, if you were. They were very, um, they were very well known. Uh, they were powerful. They were like the chief administrators, and they were aristocrats. They were a council there in Athens, and so they they had uh, had heard that Paul was teaching something new, and they were fascinated with the idea. They were unfamiliar with it, and we pick it up in. Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 22. So let's read. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and finding him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about three things that, that Paul 
uh, tells the Athenians that I think is helpful for us today. And the first thing that Paul says to them is this, that they are religious in every way. Now, first century Greek worship was a little bit different than worship here in America because the central focus during Greek worship was the worship of the Greek gods. You might have studied it in school, uh, but, but the, the idea of, of the Greek culture and the, the Greek gods and goddesses were, were something that were very well known. Um, Zeus... Um, was one of probably the most famous, Aphrodite, Apollos, um, Hermes, those were all Greek gods. And, and we still study that in, in high school, we learn about Greek mythology because mythology was simply the story of their gods. And so they were, this, this was part of their religion. And the Areopagus was a place where they would, they set up altars in honor to, uh, to worship and acknowledge these gods. It was a place that they came to debate ideas, religious ideas. And so they invited Paul there, and Paul admits to them, I I see that you're religious in every way. Now, that word religious, it refers to ceremonies, okay? Now, we we don't, we're not big on ceremonies. Do you know what I mean? We're we're pretty casual, but there are churches and there are uh, religious structures that are very big on, on worship that is very ceremonial. And that that word religion or religious, it has to do with those ceremonies. And we, when we talk about religion, we're usually really referring to kind of a system of beliefs that someone would have. But the, the root uh, and, the, and the, the meaning of the word religion has more to do with the idea of organization. If someone is religious, they are organized. <clears throat> I, I wish I could say this, um, but I can't. But, but if I would say, every Saturday, I play golf religiously, I'm saying nothing about God, right? Well, some people in our culture, they say, well, I go to church every Sunday morning religiously. It may have nothing to do with God. Religion or being religious in that sense, it's simply being organized. You get up every, every week at the same time and you drive to the same place and you take out the golf bag and you take out the clubs and you play nine or you play 18 with the same group of guys. It's just well organized. So Paul is saying, I can see that you guys are very well organized. In fact, you're so organized that you even have an altar for the unknown God. You're so organized in this that you didn't want to forget one of the other possible deities that exists. He's simply saying that they're, they're literally, they're organized. James chapter 1, it talks about having a, a, a religion. People that consider themselves religious, but that their religion is actually worthless. What Paul is telling the Athenians, and he's also telling us today, 
is that it is possible to be religious and not know God. In fact, if you really think you're religious, I think that that makes it more difficult to, to ultimately know God. I think that can get in the way of it. And in our culture, when, when people talk about, about being religious, when they talk about religion, they often are, are, are trying to project that, that they, they do know God, when in actuality, they, they may know about him, but they may not actually know him. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 13. The prophet Isaiah says this, So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here and a little there. Have you ever run into people that actually describe themselves? They will actually say, oh, I'm a very religious person. I have people say that to me. You know, and I'm not, I'm not like, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming on strong but, but for some reason, they feel the need to tell me I'm a very religious person. And yet, they do not, when they say that, they're also not identifying as being a follower of Christ. They're not identifying with being a Christian. They're simply identifying as being religious. And, and they might say to you, you know what, you, you, you've got your own idea about who God is. And you have this idea about what faith is. And that's okay for you. It's just not for me. And so people will say, well, I- I'm religious, therefore I'm okay. I don't have what you have, but, but I'm okay. They'll say, I'm a person of faith. People will say, they say that to me. You know what, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a person of faith. What does that mean? Faith in what? Faith in who? I just want to know. I'm, I'm not, I don't ask that question to belittle anyone. I just want to know what they're talking about. Because faith is, is, is like the word religion in the sense of it may have nothing to actually do with God. Your faith may be in the universe. Your faith may be in your finances. It could be anything. But we're talking about identifying what that really is and talking about knowing who God is. And the Athenians were interested in what Paul had to say because they liked the idea of debating these ideas. And sometimes we run into people like that. They just love to debate. It doesn't matter what it's about, but they love to be able to debate. Well, the idea that Paul is saying is, Athenians, you're very religious, but you're religious without ultimately knowing who God is. As we carried on the first service, I'm thinking to myself as I'm speaking and knowing that the camera's not just recording me for a later time that it's going to show it, but it literally is going, you know, onto the internet at that moment. And you think of what you're saying. And, I, and I'm talking literally to the camera and just saying, you know what, you, you might be here and, and you have been, you know, you, you, you've considered yourself a religious person. And, and you like the idea of Jesus, but you kind of wonder, do you really know him? 
Do you really know who God is? And, and this idea of, of God, you're trying to wrap your head around who God is. And you even think, you know, I want to hear more of this. And, and maybe there's even some hunger there to get some more understanding. You want to know more about Jesus. You want to know more about his life. You're intrigued. It sounds very interesting to you. In fact, you would have to say that you admire people that are able to strongly live out the conviction of believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But you're just not sure. You're not quite there yet. You're interested maybe in adding Jesus to what you already believe. You're, you know, you take a little of this and you take a little of that. And, and, I, and, and I, I want you to to think in terms of, and I, I thought this way, you know, the idea of, of when you go out to eat at an all-you-can-eat buffet. You, you want to just take a little of this. You want to take a little bit of that. So we can be religious in every way and not ultimately know who God is. But I assure you, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus tells us exactly who he is. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus lays it out. He lays it out plain and simple that he is the only way, not one of the ways. And I don't care who asks the question. Oprah may ask you the question. The answer is still the same. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth He's the only life, the only way to get to the Father. And if you want to know God, it begins with Jesus. You cannot go around him. You can't tunnel below him. You can't get above his head. I'm sorry. It starts with him. That's the only way. Number two, Paul says that ignorance is no excuse. The Athenians... They didn't believe in the unknown God as God, okay? He was just one of, you know, they just didn't want to, they didn't want to leave out any possible deities, you know? They've got a, an altar for Zeus. They've got an altar for Aphrodite. They've got an altar for Apollo. They've got an, an, an altar for Hermes. You know, they've got all of these altars there around the Areopagus, and they didn't want to leave out any possible other deity, so they create one to the unknown God, and that's the one that Paul focuses on. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to show you who he is. And they're different. So they believe that any God would do. Zeus will do. Apollo will do. any. It doesn't matter. The unknown God, he'll do just fine. That's great. In fact, they were up for debate. They enjoyed doing this. They hoped that you picked somebody other than their God so that they could debate the worthiness of their gods back and forth. So they created these altars so that they could worship them, so that they could honor them. And the Greeks were famous for building temples. In fact, you can go to, to Greece today and see uh, the ruins of these temples. Many of them are still standing today, and you can tour those things. 
But Paul tells them that they're actually ignorant of what they were worshiping because the unknown God, the the altar to the unknown God is just empty. They don't know anything. They're ignorant. Now, I don't think he was trying to to be derogatory to them, but, but he was certainly willing to share with them what it was that this unknown God was. And I love how he does it. See, the, the, the Greek gods needed to be served. The Greek gods needed to have temples built to them. The Greek gods needed to have altars erected and constructed for them because that's the only way that anyone would know about them. But Paul said, my God, the unknown God, he created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the unknown God breathed into life. They breathed life into man. And that's how you're even here today. And if no one is building him a temple, in fact, he doesn't, he can't even live in a temple. He's so great. Nobody has to do those things and he's still God. Think about that. If no one believed in God today, he is still God. If no one believes in Zeus, who is Zeus? He's nobody. He's nothing. He's an idea. God is still God because God still created the heavens and the earth. God still put the breath of life into you and I. God doesn't need us to worship him in order to be God. The Bible says that even the trees clap their hands. I love Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I I really enjoy those early morning runs where we get to see the sunrise. And you, you just have this sense of awe of who God is. Because even creation declares that God is who he says he is. And he put it all together. And he breathed life into us. God did this so that we might search for him. So that we might discover our need of him. And that we would ultimately be able to find him. God does not want you and I to be ignorant of him. He wants us to find him. In fact, he is even moving Now, in the hearts of men and women, in their hearts and minds, that they would discover who he is. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God does not wish to be unknown by you. He wishes to be known and to be found by you and everyone else. I love what Peter says in in 1 Peter 5. He He said, God would that none would perish. What he's saying is, God would that everyone would find him. That's what he ultimately desires. God does not want to be unknown. In fact, he made Jesus as the exact representation of himself so that when we saw Jesus, we would recognize the Father. He wants to be found by us. Someone can say to you, man, you can worship whatever you want, that's fine for you, but it's not okay for me. It's just not what I ultimately want to do. You know, that, they can say that, 
And that's okay for them to say. But the reality is that God wants to be found by everyone. God makes himself so accessible to everyone on this earth that there is no excuse. He's revealed himself in way after way after way. And so today, if you're, if you're wondering who God is, I want you to know that he is reaching out for you right now. That he is here and he wants you to know him. He already knows you. He wants you to know him today. James chapter 4 and verse 8 James says that if we come near to God, he will come near to you. I describe it like this. If you're just, le- just leaning toward him. See, we don't have to travel across the desert to get to him. We don't have to climb a high mountain. You know, some of that video that we saw, some of those videos were in very high and remote places where people travel because that's how you, that's how you find God those extreme trips, and and that's how you're going to get in touch with him. No, just lean in toward him. Just lean toward him and say, God, I want to know you, and and we can come to that place of meeting Jesus as our personal Savior. Number three, he says, wrestle it out. Now, okay, honestly, Paul didn't say that, but I'm saying that. Wrestle it out. This is something my dad used to say to us. I grew up in a home with three boys, and it was always two against one. This is my counseling time now, so I'm just going to share. <laughs> it was always two against one. It was, it was Mark and Dan against me. Dan, Dan, just, he, Dan had the gift of influence at a young age, and he influenced Mark. Okay, Mark was his minion, and Dan would plot how to use his minion, and, and it was always against me. And so uh, I know that you find it difficult to believe that I would ever get in an argument or a fight with anybody, but as a kid, we used to argue, we used to fight. And sometimes it got bad enough where my dad would just literally take us out in the living room and he would point at the ground and he would say, wrestle it out. I'd never heard of that style of parenting. I've never used that style of parenting, but... In my house, I get, there'd be like, there'd be like uh, you know, insulin pumps flying all over the place. And, you know, <laughs> we just couldn't do that, you know, with, with our boys. But that's what my dad did. And so because I was older by almost two years and I was bigger than him, I, I, would, I would basically, I would be in a position where I would have him in a headlock. Why a headlock? I have no idea. But I just remember his face turning really, really red. And I realized I'm in control here. And, and when I was a kid, if somebody beat you, you had to give in, okay? You had to say, I quit. Now they call it tapping out, okay? When you're, if it's MMA and, and you're beat and the guy's pummeling you and you want to be done, you just tap him anywhere and that's it. It's done. Well, we call, you know, it was called crying uncle. And my brother did not ever do that. He'd let, me, he'd let me rail on him, you know, it didn't matter, because he was not going to give me the satisfaction of winning. And I would just say, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I, can't, I can't handle this. This is scarring me for life, you know. But his dad said, wrestle it out. And I, I, I remember in, in Scripture, in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, we read about a man named Jacob. And Jacob was 
the younger twin brother of Esau. And his name meant supplanter. It literally meant heel grabber, okay? Because of, of when they were born, he literally had a hold of his brother's heel, his twin brother's heel as they were being born. And it means, it means um, uh, somebody that usurped something from someone else. Basically, it's a really nice way of calling him a conniving thief, okay? And it's not pleasant. Imagine walking around with that as your, um, as your name, knowing that that's what, what, what you're, is following you, okay? And he became his name. He literally became that name. And so uh, as he got older, um, he decided that um, he wanted to, and, and through a set of circumstances, he was going to attempt to steal his brother's birthright. We don't understand what birthrights are in our culture. But basically, it's the blessing that the father declares over the oldest son, and the oldest gets it all, and the younger gets nothing. I, it doesn't seem fair, but that's how it worked. Don't, don't, I'm just the messenger, Okay. So he decided he was going to steal it, and so he tricked his dad, and he stole the birthright blessing. His dad prayed that birthright blessing over him, and then he promptly ran away. And so later on, he has to confront his brother Esau. They're going to come together, and he's worried about it. And so he, he has everything set up, and the night before he's supposed to meet his brother, who has now become a great warrior, he's all alone, and the Bible says that a man came and wrestled with him. And he wrestled with him all night. That'd be a tough wrestling match. And they both realized that they were not going to be able to win. And so the, the man said to Jacob, he said, you need to let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob didn't even realize that this was God that he was wrestling with. But the scripture says it was God that he was wrestling with. I want you to look at the scripture because it says in Genesis 32, 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God blesses him and he gives him a new name. And so he's no longer the usurper. He's no longer the heel grabber. He's no longer the guy stealing stuff. He's now Israel. God contends. And what a difference that makes in his life. He literally becomes a, a prince in God's family. And it all came as a result of this wrestling with God. And I think that there's a lot of people today that are wrestling with the idea of who God is. And they want to know God, and they're not sure, but they're wrestling with God. And it seems like God is just too difficult to get to know, but I want you to know that God wants to bless you, and he wants to give you a new name. Your family might have a nickname for you because of something that you did when you were young, and you hate it, because it reminds you of a failure or it reminds you of a negative trait in your life. God wants to give you a new name. God wants to give you an inheritance. 
He wants to give you a blessing. And he's here ready to do that. And he wants to know us to know him. And he wants to give us a new purpose, a new destiny. Maybe you, you've been a religious person, but you understand that you really have not known who God was. Maybe for you, Jesus was just another, another option at the buffet table. Okay? I, I, love, I love all you can eat buffet. We used to call them smorgasbords. You remember that? My favorite, my favorite place to go is Pizza Ranch because you walk in, you pay your money, you sit down, and all the food is already ready. And you can pick what you want, and I pick the same thing every time. They could close down the dessert bar. I don't even care. They got to keep the salad bar open. They got to keep the, the chicken, you know. They got to keep the, the potato wedges, and that's about it, you know. But that's, I love to go and pick that. Jesus is not another thing at the, at the smorgasbord. Jesus is not another option. He's the whole meal. He's the entire meal. And God wants you to know him through the person of Jesus Christ. He absolutely is, in fact, he's looking for you. Did you know that God is actually searching you out? John says, Jesus says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God is looking for us. I love what John says of Jesus in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with him and he with me. God is, he's pursuing you right now. No matter where you are, no matter what your name is, no matter how, how negative that name is, he's searching for you right now. And he wants you to lean into him. Because if you lean into him, he's there. Come near to me, and I will come near to you. It doesn't matter how religious you've been. How much you think people think you've got it figured out. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is that you get to know him through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I thank you that you have done everything and that we might be able to know you. Thank you that you created everything and that creation just screams out. It screams out that you're there and that you are God. Thank you for putting breath into us. I'm so grateful for that breath. I'm so grateful for every beat of my heart. Thank you that you want us to know you. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for the one that may be struggling today. Struggling. Because they, they want to know you. 
They've been thinking about it. Sounds like a good idea. But they haven't made that commitment to lean into you, to come near to you. They haven't made that decision to open up their heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you say, you know what, I want to know him. I just want to pray for you as we close. I, I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. No one else will know. But if that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can pray with you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can know you. And we don't know you through religion. We don't even know you through going to church. We know you through Jesus. And Father, I pray that today we will take the message of Jesus Christ into a world that has a different idea than we do and that we will boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been so great to be with you today. Thank you for being here. And, and I just, I so appreciate that you have taken the time out of your day and that you walk in that door with a mask and you, you say, yep, I'm here. Thank you. God bless you, and we will see you real soon. Don't forget Wednesday night, the virtual worship experience. That's going to be a lot of fun. God bless you. Have a great day.